guest today i can't believe this is really happening queen lisa lee of cosmic force soul sonic force zulu nation first female mc down with zulu nation one of the first female mcs overall you know her from zulu nation throwdown you know her from wild style beat street and if you really love these old school tapes, you know her from those as well. Uh, she's couldn't have been more gracious and uh, kind with her time. She came out, met me at the library uh, in Virginia Beach, which is why the, the audio is a little funny this week, but we had to do what we had to do to get it done. Uh, so thank you so much to her. It really m- means a lot. The art, as always, is by... Mike Riley, check him out at Mike Riley Comics. And we're being hosted once again by Splice Today. Check out splicetoday.com. Let's, Let's do, do, it. do it. Southeast Bronx um, housing called Lafayette. It's about three miles, depending on which way you walked from Bronx River Projects. Um, my mom left when I was about 11. So my dad raised me from then on. Hung out in the streets a lot. Drank at a very young age, you know, smoked weed at a very young age, <laughs> um, hung in the streets until I met Bambada and the Zulu Nation. Did you have brothers and sisters? I have two brothers. Yeah, one's older than me and one's younger than me. What's your first music you remember really latching on to? Um, I would have to say we listened to a lot of Michael Jackson, um, The Silvers. Oh, nice. um, what were their names? Um, with Marie, the Osmonds. Oh, yeah. um, then we listened to a lot of the OJs from my dad, the Stylistics, um, Aretha Franklin. Uh, let's see. The Pips. Nat. Gladys Knight and the Pips. You know, a lot of those people. Me and my brother, we got turntables when I was about 10. Um, we First, we had a drum set, you know, real live equipment that we used to play with our 45 records and our 33 and a third records and um after that i think it was about 10 years old and my dad got us some turntables and a microphone and we really got into break dancing and stuff that was so early on yeah like, like who were you trying to emulate that's a good question but there were no females before me the only one that i know of is shah rock but i had not heard well i don't she was the, she right now she has proof she is the first female okay so i don't have any proof so <laughs> and that's my best friend in the world so i'll never compete with her against yeah. that for her title um but we didn't have i don't have anybody that i emulate except fellas the guys that were the djs yeah. so it was a lot of djing and it wasn't really rhymes at that age it was more like um emceeing as far as like moving the crowd right you know just little sayings that you would come up with but not real raps who were the guys that you look um dj mario may he rest in yeah. peace disco king mario excuse me you know bambada um cool herc 
names like that. Uh, it was a DJ, Kenny Ken. They all came from my my era, my my neighborhood. Yeah. You know, Bronxdale Projects, Bronx River, Soundview. You know, those areas. Those are the people that I listen to, and naturally, just the the neighborhood people that tried to do music. And at that time, they were DJing outside. You know, with mm-hmm. their speakers in the parks. Well, not at 10, but when I got a little older, maybe like 13. It's, it's hard for me to yeah. explain who I heard rap first because right. I don't know right. who that could have been or if it was on, or did I follow Dolomite, you know? Like, I don't know. I don't know if because I heard somebody out at the park, you know, I'd be lying if I can pinpoint. I, I don't remember, right. you know? Right. I would have to look into that to say who I heard, you know. I don't know. The whole world of B-beats, how do you even find out about them and find out what they are? Is it it? I mean, if, you're, if you like music, you're going to find it. You know, you go to the record stores because you go to the record shop and you shop through it and the guy will help you, you know, and you just, you can listen to beats at the record store, yeah. you know, and you get the names of it. And a lot of times we you they were just regular songs, and every song had a break beat, you know. So that's how you learn how to find them, you know. Um, it's it's hard to describe. I mean, right. you just have records in your house because your parents have so, have records. Right. So the more you listen to it, you hear break beat. I could mix that. I could do something with that, and you just take something off of that. And come to find out, everybody else is doing it too. But you're thinking you just came up with something, but you know. And then you just you just learn how to shop records, you know. And when it becomes your what you do, you figure it out, you know. You know, and James Brown had break beats on everything he did, you know. And say, on the turntables, did you learn quick mixing and all that? Mm Mm-hmm. That yeah, scratching all that stuff. Ten, eleven years old, yeah. Uh, Red Alert tell, always tells this story about how when he first started DJing and I used to cut better than him. Really? Right. And wow. and he re- he still remembers that. I guess it was yeah. like, what the is going on here? You know, how did she do that? Yeah. But that's what I started doing first. You know, I wasn't a B girl. I might have broke dance in my neighborhood, you know, but I didn't compete and all that stuff. That wasn't my first level. I, was, I loved DJing. And then I began to love rapping. Well, let me ask you this then. Is it possible that you were the first female hip-hop DJ? I've never um, looked into trying to claim that title, so it's really hard to say. Yeah. I wouldn't know. I've never even looked into that. And and I don't count in your home, in your house. You know what I mean? Because it could be somebody younger than me that had turntables in their home. Yeah. I just, I count being seen or... At an event or in your park, yeah. you know, to be considered for those titles, because I, although I was rapping in my home, I didn't consider myself uh, MC truly until the first day I was on the microphone at one of Africa Bambada's events, you know, and see my name on a flyer. Then it became official. What was it like approaching Bambada? Um, I had friends over there already in Bronx River. A guy named who was became famous for the echo chamber was Smitty D, okay. and he was a real good friend of mine's. And um, he invited me over there to the to the party at Junior High School 123 in the Bronx. And um, I 
I wasn't really scared of too much, you know. Back then, did a lot of fighting, unfortunately. So I wasn't, that didn't make me nervous. And I had a lot of confidence in myself. So I just asked one of the guys behind the rope if I could get on. They went and asked Bambada. He said, okay, which I don't know, maybe, I guess he just knew something. I don't know. And he just allowed me to do it. Yeah. Across the um, other side of the gymnasium was Disco King Mario that yeah. night. And I'll never forget it. And he let me get on. And the next week, my name was on the flyer. Now, that was what was had me going crazy. Yeah. Seeing my name on the flyer. When my little brother came running to me with that flyer. Yep. Who else was on the bill that night? That's, that's a shame I don't remember. <laughs> that's a shame I don't remember. If I ever thought it'd be what it is today. I would have collected flyers back then, but I'd never even seen it coming. But um, that was in the late 70s. Um, I would have to say about 78. Okay. Um, I always remember um, with Bambada, I would always be like the the last one to come on. Like after everybody, they would always wait till about 1 in the morning when, you know, everybody's in there. Yeah. Or 12, because the parties would end about 2. So they would always make sure that it's packed, and then they'd be like, okay, it's Lisa's turn, oh, you know? Yeah. And then I get up there and I do my thing to my, I'd always go to Apache or Catch a Groove, and, yeah. and I would say my, my rhymes. And how often was there a show? Oh, every Friday and Saturday. Yeah. yeah. And we traveled around a lot, you know, go to different boroughs and, and rap. So it was kind of cool. I know the Bronx was like the Mecca, but... Were there packed shows all over New York? All, all the time, yeah. Bam had a, a, a large crowd that followed him. You know, at that time, we was transitioning from the organization to the Mighty Zulu Nation. Yeah. And, and he was practicing peace, you know, more pushing that out. Yeah. And pushing out that, you know, he was going to turn this organization slash nation into a phenomenon. He would one day be known all over the world. Yeah. Which, here we are. <laughs> he organized meetings, you know, where we had to have meetings and sit down and talk about positive things, you know, and try to get the women to pull together, just like he tried to get the men to pull together, and and teach us to change our way of thinking from yeah. to solve a problem, you don't have to fight anymore. We're going to solve our problems by speaking to people and talking and become more of, of a group where you have peace and harmony more than what we had been doing you know, fighting everyone. Yeah. You know? yeah. So I thought that was a great, coming from him, you know, it meant a lot because he came from the black spades. To come from him is like, wow, if he can change and have so many people willing to change, and be, why wouldn't we? So Shaw Rock is first, but were there other females you remember liking? Well, I never... It was years that I only, it was just me and Shaw Rock. That I, that's the only female that I ever came across. And then we had our tape together that we did, our one show that we performed at Stevenson High School. But as far as other females that I've heard of were the Mercedes ladies. And um, let me see. That's all I, I didn't, Shaw Rock came across more females than I did. I didn't really, I hung with the guys, yeah. and I didn't really go outside of my, the nation. Okay. So, you know, 
That's just how we always were. That was our family, and I just stuck close with them. But Shah Rock was the only female that I came across. What about MC Smiley? I heard about her, yeah. but I haven't heard an old tape of her. I could, I could get one going. Oh, what year is it? Might have been as early as 78 with the L Brothers. Would that make sense? The L Brothers were around for a long time, but um, I don't know of her being out in 78. Okay, maybe not. I mean, I'm not 100% sure, yeah. but yeah, I, I have never heard her. I mean, I'm willing to hear it. I mean, it's uh, yeah, a, yeah. Yeah, but I never heard her. After Shaw, I heard maybe Debbie D. Okay. Um, and like I said, Mercedes Ladies. But other than that. So you were saying you kind of stuck with the nation. But what about the other big people at the time, like Flash, Cold Crush? Like what was my take? Yeah, did you, were you a fan? Did you? No. No. No, not at all. And it's not that I dislike them, it's that the way BAM organized us, it's just, it's different from everybody else. We just had a, a bond and everything was the nation, yeah. you know? So we don't, we didn't go and go to their shows to watch them mm -hmm. unless we were on the board to do something as right, well, right, right. you know? That's just how it always was. Oh, I, had, I, I didn't yeah. Like at that time, before records were really happening, did you see this as something that could blossom into a career? Or was it more just like, this is what we do? Well, I, the only time I started seeing that is when we actually started making records, because I made a record with the Cosmic Force. Yeah. Um, and that's when I saw that it could be, you know, when Sugar Hill Gang and they had the. Um, was it Sugar Hill Records? When that came about, then I knew this was going to be something. Yeah. You know, that's when I, you start looking at it a different way. You know, and Bam would take us to the studio and we started actually recording. Mm -hmm. I did see it as a career, but unfortunately, I, the streets still had a hold on me. And I had been involved in selling drugs and stuff since I was very young. Yeah. And I guess... Trying to take off in music at that time was really, really slow. And it wasn't, we weren't really getting paid. You know, we never got paid for the Cosmic for Zulu Nation throwdown, mm. ever. The man just got over on us. And um, at my, the way I thought back then, and I guess it came from my mom leaving me at such a young age and me just being in the street so much, I had to take care of myself. And I just, saw my money coming faster in the streets. Mm. So that kind of pulled me away from, you know, the whole being on the mic and staying involved with the nation because I disappeared for a while from them. When? In the 80s, I left for a while. Yeah, like later. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, I tried and I stuck around and, you know, I 82, I did, um, well, 81, 82, I did Wild Style, yeah. the movie Wild Style. And then I got pregnant. I was actually pregnant in the movie and um, still was around. And then Beach Street came along. And after that is when I, you know. Did Wild Style feel monumental at the time? No, he came in the Bronx and gave us some $100 bills and was like, 
let's film this movie. And yeah. I was like, okay, hey, a hundred dollar bill. Wow. Never seen one of those, you know? I mean, I seen one, but you know, you're just like, wow, this guy's just giving away a hundred dollar bills. Right. Just to hear me rap. I do that for free all the time. Yeah. Is a, actually, there's a DJ down here in Virginia. I, I just recently heard this. Um, he actually plays this the little skit from Wildstyle where uh, me and Busy B is at the hotel. Oh, yeah. And he's going, and I go, what's that you making? And he goes, a B, a B for the Busy. Oh, yeah. Well, this guy, this DJ's name is DJ B. So he plays that little part, and I've been trying to reach him so I could be like, hey, do you know what that is? That's, <laughs> it's me from way back in the day, you know? <laughs> Were you and Busy... Friends in real life? Nah, we're, we're, well, back then, right. he was more, he was from a different side of town. But um, we, we became cool. And yeah. yeah, we're still good friends. Like I told you, I traveled all the way to Baltimore to his birthday right, party. Right. Yeah, it's a good friend now. But they paired us together back then. Oh, okay. We just came up on our 30th anniversary last summer. And we was out in New York in Manhattan. And he had an outside party. Like, okay. the, like we did the amphitheater. And yeah. we performed. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. How about Beat Street? Did that seem more like a real movie? Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, we all had to sign up for ASCAP, and we got paid the way you're supposed to get yeah. paid. And when you came in there, you you had the real, you know, Harry Belafonte had it the way a real movie goes. You right. know, cut, let's go to the script. You know, you had words that you had to say. It wasn't just, you just do what you want to do. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Like that one skit with us three girls, with the S girls, yeah. took an entire day for that sure. couple of minutes, you know? Yeah, and I'm sure when that one came out, that felt more like a huge deal. Yeah. Yeah, it turned out to be, people still talk about it, so. Yeah. And we're getting ready to have a B Street reunion oh, cool. in New York, uh, April 11th. And did you get out of New York much, or was it mostly things you did in New York? Mostly in New York okay. back then, yeah. yeah. We just traveled to different boroughs. Like the first, we would go up to Ham New Hampshire, New York. You mm -hmm. know, we'd go upstate New York, yeah. but we didn't really go out of New York. Besides thinking that, okay, this is real now, what did you actually think about Sugar Hill Gang? Came out, the music. They did what they were supposed to do. They made a commercial where they could get on the radio, yeah. where we were still so hardcore, mm -hmm. you know, I think until um, Bam changed the way he did his music with the Soul Sonic Force, did they become able to move forward? And when he did, you know, he soared. Yeah. But um, they, they, I guess Sylvia Robinson knew what it, what she should do yeah. to get them on the radio and on Saturday Night Live with the Funky Four. As the sound is changing, it became more. Run DMC and everything like that. Did you stay connected with the music? Like, did you like it? Oh yeah. yeah, oh yeah. I never lost what I felt for music. I just lost focus mm -hmm. on where I should be going with music, you know, okay. because of being in the streets. And what does that look like? Going back to selling drugs? Yeah, but I didn't feel like I was the sad part, because it is sad, is that I didn't feel like I was missing anything. I was so deep in the streets that I 
wasn't no taking me back to that at that time. Yeah. I could tell you a story. I was down here in Virginia at um, a mall, and I seen Biz Markie. He's a really good friend of mine because he used to come to my house when I lived in North Carolina. And he stopped me like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Flagged him off. I, that he could have he took me in and, and been like, come on, let's go do some music. You know, back then, it didn't interest me. I mean, I like the music and I like hearing it, but I was so deep in them streets that it just kind of blew him off. Like, I talk to you later, you want to talk crazy to me. Like, I'm not, I don't want to talk about that. Was it painful? For him, I think it was. Okay. And the sad part, it wasn't for me. You know, I seen his hurt in his eyes like, you know, this is, a, this is my girl, my friend, right. you know, Lisa Lee. Yeah. And she's just out of control, you know. Because I was like, I'm busy, I don't have time for you. Yeah. You know. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, I, the love of the music always brought me back to go do something, you know. Because I still could write rhymes, yeah. you know. So if someone asks me, like, yo, you want to go get on this track? Of course, I'm going to do it. Yeah. But because it wasn't getting me anywhere, just kept going back to the streets, right. you know. It's almost like the idea of a career rapper hadn't even really been established yet. Like the shelf life of a rapper was seen as so small. Well... A lot of this is just my vision of what I what I saw. Yeah. Because the nation was so different, the nation was so different. It just took us longer to get out there and for people to recognize. They still looked at us as a gang. Right. You know, they they feared us still. You know, the Zulu Nation. You know, because that's what we came from. But we were still trying to transition over. I just think it took the world a longer time to see us not as bad guys. And it could be our yeah. environment, you know, yeah. growing up, how we grew up, you know. A lot of us, well, in my apartment complex, like, if you weren't in again, you was probably going to get beat up almost right. every day. So, you know, I paired up with who I'm going to go with the nation, right. <laughs> you know. Right. I'm not going to be on that other team, you know. <laughs> so as you're sliding back, into the streets. Something happened at some point that made you stop? Well, me in the streets? Yeah. Yeah, I got locked up. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that'll stop you. Um, but not. it didn't stop me the first time. It took quite a few times. And that just goes to show you how my mentality was, you know. It took me to do some real time for me to change, you know. So. For how long? Um... The one, the longest I did at one time was three and a half years. So that was enough to change me. (laughs) That was definitely enough, so. Where did you go from there? Well, I had a small child at the time. And um, I had a child when I was like 11 years from my first one. So he was only a year when I went away. And that kind of took a toll on me, you know, to come home and not know him, him not know me, that that changed me. And the fact that um, my mom or anybody that was in my life just turning back on me, I guess they assumed I would not change. I would just come out here and just do the same thing again because I was so out of control. So I didn't have anybody when I came home. I had to, I had no, you have to have an address to go to when they release you. I had no address to go to. 
because no one wanted me to come with them. So a supervisor, I was on work release, a supervisor at my job uh, offered me to come stay with her. And this lady didn't even know me. And that's another thing that broke me. You know, like I didn't have nobody. A stranger had to take me in. At my age, how could I put myself in a situation like that, you know, to be a grown adult with nowhere to go, no one that wants you around them, and nobody to believe in you, no one to trust you, not that I was stole, but just to trust that you're not going to do the same thing again, you know. Right. So that was tough. So that make I had to prove to myself along with to my family and my children that, you know, that's not me no more. And um, Shaw Rock's always been a really good friend of mine. You know, she hates for me to tell this story. She hates for me to share it. She doesn't think I should tell anybody <laughs> about it. She thinks I need to bury it under the ground and nobody should know because she's such a nice person. She's just like, you don't have to tell nobody that. They don't need to know. But you know, it's, it's my life and it's the truth. But she's always been in my ear. You need to get back on track. We need to tell our story. We need to let the world know, you know, who you are. And she's really been on my, you know, in my ear about it, you know, for oh, yeah. years, you know, and I appreciate her for that. And then a friend of mine, Charles Jones, he's talked me into doing a documentary about my life. So didn't want to, but, you know, the more I go to New York and the more I visit my friends up there, the more I feel like, yeah, it does need to be told. Why didn't you want to do it? Who wants to share what I just shared with you? Yeah, it's not, it's not an open wound to me anymore because it's right. over 20 years now that that happened. But I didn't want to. You know, my family was embarrassed. They didn't want me to tell. So when I tell this, you know how many people is going to know? Right. You know, right. you know, a yeah. lot of people all, all over the world, a lot of yeah. people would know. And my family just made me feel like I shouldn't tell anybody. They, my mother especially, you know, they just told me I shouldn't tell. But it's my story in my life. And I might be helping somebody, you know? Is it that they think you shouldn't do that because you're a public figure? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, for those purposes. Like, why would you want the world to know that? Like, why would you tell that? What are you gaining from it? But from public speaking, because I do that, you know, I do a lot of that now, um, I realize it's a great thing. And I've had so many people come to me, you know, and thank me for sharing because you don't know what's going on inside of someone. You don't know if they're fighting with those same demons yeah. and they have a choice to go to college or this guy has a package for them and they could just have $5,000 in their pocket. But they can be broke and go to college and have a career. Right. You know, sometimes you don't see the bigger picture. You just see the moment. Right. Right. So, you know, hopefully I can save someone. It, it heals me, it helps me, you know, and it helps others, you know. Yeah. And now I'm involved in the library down here in Virginia, uh, William and Mary in okay. Williamsburg, Virginia. Um, a guy, Kevin Kasanovich, he opened up a hip-hop library there. And um, I'm displaying my audio. Well, I have an audio that you can listen to my story and um, a cassette tape that they put on display because, you know, they don't have cassette tapes anymore, so. So, um, you know, I I just try to just um, 
let people know what the real history is of hip hop. Um, let them know the origins of it, which I think is important because there's so many stories out here. And the only people that can tell the true story is the people that actually lived it, you know? So here I am. So back to this time when you see Biz Marquis, it's like you, at the time you don't even care what he's saying. I just didn't want him to, like you try to, you don't want to feel nothing. You know, I'm not going to say I didn't feel any kind of way when he said it, but I didn't want to feel that, you know, because that would just mess up what I'm trying to do, you know, if I let my feelings get involved. So I just kind of like, I don't have time right now. You know, I have to talk to you later. You know, just stay disconnected so that it won't take away my focus from the streets, which sounds crazy, but, you know, it is what it is. So was there a point where you became more connected to your own history? Yeah, the more people kept reaching out to me, you know, when I first came home, it was hard. You know, first I had to find myself, get myself together. You know, I had a lot of things I had to deal with with just being angry. So once I got myself together, you know, and I could step outside of that box, then I started kind of involving myself more with New York people, back yeah. going back home and speaking to my friends up there, and they would tell me what's going on. I'm like, they're still rocking our music? Are you kidding me? They're still having old school parties? They're like, yeah, you better get on board. And I'm like, wow. You know, um, I didn't have a Facebook for many, many years, and then everybody's like, you have to at least... I'm telling you, Lisa, it's a great thing. Went on and did that, you know, and that's how I started getting back involved. So when these live tapes are coming out, did you know that they were circulating around the way they were? Back then? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. But you just wanted it heard on the blocks. You make copies of the tape, you know, with the boom box and, and let everybody listen to you. Yeah. Did you know that they have them on the Internet now? Oh, they do? Oh, yeah, yeah. See, I just have a friend up in New York who just makes me, if I ask him whatever I ask him for, he's like, oh, I got it. I'm yeah. going to send you a package. You know, he'll send them on a cassette tape. Who is it? Troy Smith. That's how I thought. <laughs> he sent me a package not too long ago, so he's a good guy. Yeah. He's a good dude. He just wants the truth to be told. Yeah. And, you know, you got to respect that. How could you, if, if he asks you a bunch of questions, how could you not want to try to help him when all he's trying to get to is the truth? Yeah. You know, and wants, and wants it to be told. Right. You know, so. May I have respect to him. So he still sends you cassettes? I, I bought a boombox at, at one of the Zulu Nation anniversaries. Oh. You know, just, just because. I can't even ex- describe the feeling that you have at an anniversary. Mm. It's like all of your people that love you and you love are in one place together. Yeah. You know, just having fun, just enjoying themselves. No beef, no nothing, just whatever's going on, it's, it's left outside the door, and you're just there to enjoy yourself, you know? So what do you do now at the Zulu anniversary shows or something like that? Do you rock over the same beats? Well, I do have a new one that um, I'm putting together now, but I've always, anytime we go to those events, it's kind of like they want, they want to remember who you were. You know, if I think, I believe if I would try to do what 
a new school rapper is doing that they would just look at me. That's like the OJs trying to do what Chris Brown is doing. Right. I think they would just look at me like, what are you doing? Yeah. You're such and such years old. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. You know? So if I go to see the stylistics, I expect to hear their own music. Right. And I think that's what people expect, you know, because they always want us to rock to the old song, Seven Minutes of Funk and, yeah. you know, Catch a Groove and, you know, those type of songs. So yeah. it's kind of hard to try to switch up a, your flow to match what's going on now. So even if I got new rhymes, I probably use old beats. Do you ever think of releasing an album or something even over the old breaks? No. No? Why not? Just myself? Yeah. Nah. I just don't feel like I have the exposure at this time to release an album and it would sell here in the States. Uh, overseas, whole different ball game. Oh. Overseas, it, it'd be a phenomenal, but not here. The States are too... Lack of better words, let me think of a good word. They're just very commercial. Um, you don't hear our music on the radio because we're not talking about, we're not calling people names. We're yeah. not talking about negative things. Yeah. So, you know, I just don't see them buying into it. We tried to do a tour, all female tour in New York. They didn't want no parts of it. Overseas wanted a part of it. They didn't want none here. They said we were too old. What do we look like? Send some pictures first. Stuff like that. Oh. Instead of what's our music like. Yeah. You know, everything's about looks. Are we gonna be half naked? You know? That's that's how they sell stuff. If you know, you could put out a record, even if it only gets heard in Europe right now, wouldn't it still be a cool thing to do? But you have to have the right person behind you. Yeah. Because everything is it's gonna be the music first. Right. The beat. It's gonna to have to be somebody that's that that dude right now, you know, who's the producer. That's the the guy who's making good music right now. Yeah. You know, is he is he willing to take a chance with an old school rapper to change? You know, because they would have to change some things around. I couldn't just go in there to an old school beat. He would have to take that old school beat and do a sample on it, or something. And change. Yeah, I don't know. We did a, a show in Atlanta. It was a deep, actually it was the, um, um, it was a DJ event for the weekend. And they invited us to come out. And we didn't know who we were. They didn't have a clue. We were riding in an elevator going down and these young guys was in the um, elevator with us and excuse my language. They was like, yo, these old rapping bitches are gonna be here tonight. And we just stood there. <laughs> yep, that's, that's the first thing they said. He was like, who are you talking about? You mean like Queen Latifah? He was like, nah, nah. Way back, like, oh, oh. <laughs> and we were standing, we, I, I looked at Shaw, we ain't say nothing. I'm like, I wonder who they talking about. So then this one guy in the crowd goes, oh my God, you don't even know who they are. These are the ones who started this shit. So then that's when they started getting happy. It was like, for real? You mean before MC Light? 
Right. Like before salt and pepper, they was like, yeah, these bitches is old, speaks my language. And me and her standing, I was like, so that's how they talk about a shot? <laughs> I said, it's going to be funny when they come and they see that we the same ones in the elevator right. with them. <laughs> yep. But on a, on, a, on a positive note, after afterwards, we did have a lot of people come over and talk to us and yeah. want to take pictures and like, wow, this is amazing, you know, to see y'all here, you know. All, all together on one stage, it was me, Shah, Shah Rock, um, the Brat, um, Pebbly Poo from Mastodon Committee. Um, we had some break dancers, some female break dancers came down that were in Beach Street with us. Um, who else was there? Um, the boss from LA, she came out. I mean, it was nice, um, Spinderella. You know, we had never all been together, you know, so it was, it was pretty awesome. They definitely, you know, appreciated us and let us know that. So that meant a lot to us. I'm not trying to overstate it, but I really think if you came out now, really incredible. So you got some ideas? Yeah. Then we need to get together. Okay, we can do that. I, I travel up to New York all the time. I'll be shooting through B-more. Yeah. Stay a day or two. We record something and keep it moving. Okay. I'm going to hold you to it. <laughs> Is there anything else you want to mention? I just want to say that um, in case anybody who doesn't know me, that I am the one and the only MC that's ever been with the Zulu Nation. The first female MC with the Soul Sonic Force and the Cosmic Force. Um, the only female to be in both movies, Wild Style and Beach Street. Uh, I do appreciate that. I do feel like I was honored to be able to be that female. And um, I just want to be able to tell my story, you know, for people to know where it all started from, know the origins of hip hop, the culture, how it all began, the true meaning of it, you know, and um, appreciate how it started. You know, I think that's important. That's like us not, not looking back into our history or knowing that we have history and never wanting to know what it was, never trying to figure out how we got here, right. you know, right. or why our world is the way it is. How could you not want to know what took place prior to you, you know? That's like singers not ever wanting to know, or a actor never wanting to know, well, who started these movies? Like, how did this all get started? Yeah. And to never pay homage to these people? Right. You know? That's like you sit here and I say, and you say to me, you're the first one, and I was like, oh, is that what the, oh, yeah, yeah. And I just <laughs> right. agree with you, right. you know, knowing that that's not what it is right you know you could say i don't know i'll take that but to say yeah right here it started you know right. because that's what the people say that's not fair well thank you so much for coming on it means a lot absolutely i appreciate you you know traveling to hear me out okay thank you one more time lisa lee thought it was a great interview and we'll see you next week